Welcome to Woods Edge Community Church. For those of you who don't know me, like Pastor John uh, introduced, my name is Phil Kwan. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and I am so, so excited to be here with you guys this morning. I'm excited to share with you a little bit of my life and my story, but most importantly, most importantly, I'm excited to share with you from God's Word. Now, before we dive into that, I would love for us to pray together as a church. I've heard that Woods Edge Community Church is pretty serious about prayer. So uh, let's pray together before we dive in. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to invite every person in this room to take a moment and rest wherever you're coming from, whatever your week looked like before this moment, whatever your week looks like after today, you can lay it aside because the truth is that you're here for a reason. God has brought you here to this moment to speak to you and you can rest in that. And I wanna encourage you, challenge you if you're up for it to pray quietly in your own heart and ask God to speak to you today. Next, if you could pray for me, my heart's desire isn't to impress you or to make a good impression, but instead that I would be set aside so that the word of God could speak to you, that it would impact you and change you. So would you pray for me that God would speak through me and that it would make sense to you? Well, Lord, we thank you. What a privilege it is for us to be here together. We pray, God, that your word would speak to us and your Holy Spirit would reveal truth and that it would transform us today. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, today is a really special Sunday for me because it is, in fact, my very first Sunday here. And if you are brand new to Woods Edge, and you don't know where to park, and you don't know where the bathrooms are, then just a word of comfort, even the guy who's preaching today does not know where you should park. (laughs) Uh, I actually spent like five minutes driving around wondering if I qualified for first-time visitor parking. (laughs) The reason why I bring this up is because every person understands this feeling of being new. Every person in this room has been new to this church at some time. Either it's today, or it was years ago when you were a first-time person here. Every person was new to Woods Edge Community Church. And every person knows what it feels like to be new somewhere. You're new to a job, new to a neighborhood, new to a city, new to a community. Maybe the the only time you were new is when you were born. You were new to this world. Whatever the case may be, you were new at some point. And as much as there is excitement and anticipation that comes with that newness, there is also, if we're honest, a sense of anxiety, a little bit of stress, maybe feeling a little overwhelmed. And for a lot of us, an experience of loneliness and isolation. 
I remember very vividly the first time where I was new and I was old enough to kind of understand what was going on was when I went to college. I uh, grew up in Bel Air, Texas, graduated from Bel Air High School, go cards, and we moved. I moved away from home to attend, of course, the greatest university on the planet, Texas A&M University. Whoop. <laughs> <clears throat> And when I moved, my parents helped me get all of my worldly belongings into this tiny dorm room. But when we had moved in, they got in their car and drove away and left their son alone with 50,000 strangers. And boy, was I new. And I felt it. And, I, and, and that loneliness and that isolation, that fear, all of that came crushing in. And all I could think to do was, was the thing I do when I get stressed, and that is eat. I was like, okay, what am I going to do? I'm just going to go eat. And so I walked across the street. There's a Domino's there. I ordered three large pizzas because they're doing a deal. And I grabbed those three pizzas and I rushed back to my dorm room because I did not want anyone to see me with a stack of pizzas because then they would ask, where's the party? And I would have to say, they're nowhere. These are just, they're all, they're all for me. I'm just stocking up. Anyhow, I show up, I, I get into my dorm room. I decide what I'm gonna do with the first night as an independent person, as an adult, as a college student, I'm just gonna eat pizza and watch a movie until I fall asleep. That is what I'm going to do. So I do that, start the movie, and I just reach into that box and I just keep eating until at one point halfway through the movie, I reach into the pizza box and I realize there is no pizza left. I ate an entire pizza by myself and I didn't even realize it. And at that moment, I hit pause on my movie and I just sat there in the darkness of my dorm room alone and I literally said out loud, is this what my life is going to be like now? Is this what it means to be an adult? And the weight of that and the crushing reality of that hit me so hard. And I just sat there and I was in this pit of despair alone and isolated. And as I was wallowing in that, all of a sudden I hear a knock on the door. And it startled me because, again, I didn't know anyone, and I wasn't expecting anyone. So I got up, I opened the door, and there in my doorway was this beautiful girl. And not only was she beautiful, she was also a sophomore. You know, a sophomore who knows what's going on. She knows where to park. She knows where the bathrooms are. And she introduced herself, and she said, hey, some of my friends and I, we're going out to dinner And we're walking around the dorm and we wanna know if you wanna come with us. And I looked at her and I go, yes, yes, I would, very much so. And then she goes, hey, listen, if you've already eaten, it's no big deal, we'll catch you on the next time. And I go, I haven't eaten anything. And I just kinda <laughs> kick the pizza boxes off to the side so she wouldn't see them. I go, oh man, I'm starving. She goes, great, we'll meet you in the lobby in five minutes. We drive to Wingstop on University. And because I didn't want to be that weird freshman kid uh, who just orders a water, I overcompensated and I ordered half the menu. And I felt compelled to eat everything right then and there. And can I tell you, I have never felt that kind of pain in my life. <laughs> but as much as my body was in physical pain, my heart was so full, so satisfied, so full of joy because I was new, I was a stranger, 
I was alone and someone cared enough to invite me to journey with them. Why am I telling you this? Because like I said earlier, everyone is new at some point and in the heart of every human being is this need, this deep need to belong, to be known and to be loved. It's a core part of the human experience. We're hardwired for community, for each other. Even when God created the heavens and the earth, he created a perfect world and he put his perfect man in that garden. He looked at his man and said, it is not good for my boy to be by himself. We were made for community. And yet, in this point in human history, never before have we been surrounded by so many people. There have never been more human beings on this planet than this day, right here, right now. And despite that fact, our world is hemorrhaging with the pain of isolation and loneliness. And maybe that's you in this room because you're new and you don't know where to go. And this is scary for you. Maybe you've been here for a long time and still you feel that ache. Maybe you're moving into a new job and that scares you and you feel isolated. Or maybe you have some community, but you look around your world and you see the brokenness of people as they separate themselves more and more from each other. And the question is, how do we fix that? What is the answer to this great great need in our hearts. And we find the answer in God's word. Today, we're in the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 19. If you have your Bible, you can open up there. We're going to also throw it up on the screen. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 19. We're going to read a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a community of people as he's recollecting, as he's remembering the time where he as a pastor moved to a new city, a new community. He's going to remember the experience of being new and their experience of being new to him and new to this message called the gospel. And we're going to see how it transformed a community of strangers as Paul became a neighbor the gospel of God transforming them into something special. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 19, the first paragraph we're going to read, Paul is going to talk about his mission and his motive. His mission and his motive. We're going to see why he and his team, Timothy and Silas, were there, and then he's going to explain the reasons Uh, the reason why he was there. Verse one starts this way. For you, that is the Thessalonians, yourselves know, brothers, that our, Paul, Timothy, and Silas, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. This was their mission, their desire. The reason why they were there was to proclaim this thing called the gospel of God, the good news of God, the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ. That's why they were there. And then he's going to explain, these are not the reasons we came. Just to clarify, to make sure you remember correctly, we did not come for these reasons. Verse three, it says, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity, or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with the pretext 
of greed. God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made our demands as apostles of Christ. Paul explains that he did not come. He did not move to Thessalonica to pander to a group of people, to gain popularity from them, to make himself feel better, to win some kind of election, or to leverage them and manipulate them for money. Back in those days, uh, speakers would travel through cities, and that's the way they made their living. They made their money, and the, the better, more motivational they're speaking, the more money they made. And Paul would explain, that is not at all why we came. And he's going to explain more of the details of that in the next paragraph. But then Paul explains, this is why we came. This is what motivated us. In verse 7, he says, but we were gentle among you. Like a nursing mother taking care of her own children, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Why? Because you had become very dear to us. Paul says these were not the reasons we came, but instead the reason why we came is because we grew to love you. And the example he uses is the picture of a nursing mother, the tenderness and care of a mother. When I think about a new mother, I think about my own wife, Brandy, the moment where she got to hold our firstborn baby, Samantha, for the very first time. And just seeing the tears of joy welling up in her eyes as she was just overwhelmed by this intense, self-sacrificing love for this little creature. And Paul says, you want to know the kind of heart that we grew to have for you? It's this kind of heart. I love that it says, because we had become very dear to you. That is, we were strangers when we moved in but you became so dear to us that we weren't just there to check a box. We weren't there for a job. We weren't there for a task or a project. Instead, we wanted to give our whole lives over to you in the same way a mother wants to give her whole life for her child. They were motivated by love. They were motivated by love. Paul continues in verse nine in the second paragraph where he's going to explain the manner in which they lived. Because as much as there's this lofty idea of proclaiming the gospel and being motivated by love, the truth is day in and day, day out, they actually lived next door to these people. They actually moved in to this neighborhood. And the question is, is okay, then how did they live? These three single guys moving into a house. How did they live? Verse nine, it says, for you remember brothers, our labor and our toil, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses. Remember what you saw of us. And God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. Paul says, hey, when we moved into your neighborhood, remember the way that we lived. Paul's team lived excellently among their neighbors. They weren't, you know, Timothy wasn't practicing the drums at one in the morning or throw on a big party in the middle of the night. They didn't leave trash in their yard. They uh, mowed their grass. They were good with their HOA. They took the trash out on time, and then they brought it back on time. That's a hard one. You have to bring your trash back on time. He, they did all of those things. He says that they worked hard so they wouldn't be a burden on the neighborhood. 
Back then, preachers and teachers, they would get money from their community. And Paul says, we did not want any occasion for anyone to think that we were going to take from you. And so they worked hard so that they wouldn't be a burden on their community. In short, they were good neighbors. They lived excellently. And then in verse 11, he says, for you know how like a father with his children. So in the first paragraph, Paul talks about how he was like a mother with her children. Now in the second paragraph, he's going to say, we were like a I was like a father to you. With his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory as a father of three daughters. Man, this speaks. It reminds me of my call to live a life that is excellent, to model godly living and to model the life-changing reality of the gospel in my own life for my children's sake and for my community's sake so that when people look at my life, they have no occasion to say, what you believe must not be real because it's not impacting the way you live. Paul says that like a father with his children, he encouraged and coached and, and exhorted these people. And I remember, I recall how God's word says, train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And that is a passage, that is scripture. We pray over our children every night. And so you see that Paul, Timothy, Silas, as they moved into this neighborhood, this street, this city, this community, they live lives marked by integrity, motivated by love, marked by integrity. And then the final paragraph, he's going to flip the camera around. He's going to say, we did this. We live this way. Uh, you'll notice in the first two paragraphs, all the pronouns are we and us. But this final paragraph, he's going to flip the screen and he's going to say, but you the message that we brought and the way that we lived, the gospel we brought to you, this is the way you received it, the way you were transformed by it, and this is the result. Verse 13, it says, we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Paul came to preach the truth of God, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin, the restoration of relationship between sinners and God. That's the message he proclaimed, and the Thessalonians received it as the truth of God. And then in verse 14, he says that your lives were changed by it. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, for you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. And displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. He says that you not only changed the way you imitated the churches and the way that you changed the way you lived, he says that this message, this hope that you have in the gospel, it changed the way you engaged with a hostile world. They suffered well. They suffered under persecution for that which they believed and clung to with faith. What was the result? Verse 17, it says, but since we were torn, that's Paul again, Paul, Timothy, and Silas. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, so first paragraph, like a nursing mother, second paragraph, like a father with his children, and then this final paragraph, he says, but you, brothers, brothers. 
since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, but not in heart. I mean, who, who writes like that? There's just, it is so rich with emotion. You could just imagine Paul writing this with tears rolling down his eyes because he longed so much to be near them, this group of people, again. He says, hey, we might have, been, we might have had to move away. We might have been separated with, from you physically, but you still owned our hearts. We still wanted so much to be with you. He says, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, can you hear how effusive he's being? He just longs to be with people he loves. But Satan hindered us. And then finally in verse 19, he says, what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? He says, what is our greatest reward? What is the thing that satisfies us? What's the thing that excites us? What is, what is the thing uh, that we treasure? Is it not you, church? Is it not you? So we see that Paul is just moved by affection for these people and the community, community at Thessalonica is moved by affection for the Lord to live differently. God transformed this city. I remember when Brandy and I moved into our house. We bought our first house in Austin five years ago. And this passage was the thing that we desired to see on our street. We prayed this over our street. And over time, we got to meet our neighbors to our left and to our right across the street, catty corner from us, invited them over to barbecues, to, uh, to Bible clubs in the summer, and all these kinds of things. And there was one family in particular, Andrew and Erica, that lived just catty corner to the right of us. Not believers, they, they, they didn't go to church, they didn't do any of those kinds of things, but God put a great burden and love for them in our hearts. And there was this one time that Brandy had spent the entire day with Erica, and uh, in the afternoon she rushed home, uh, and she was all excited. I said, Brandy, what's going on? And she said, Phil, Phil, Andrew and Erica, they're having a baby. They're, they're pregnant. And I go, wow, that's amazing. And she goes, no, 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 you don't understand. We're the first people they told. They, we, they wanted us to be the first people to find out that they were having a baby. And if any of you guys have kids, you know how big of a deal that is to be the first people to know. And I go, wow, that's amazing that God would bring our families that close to each other. Wow, that's amazing. She goes, Phil, it is amazing. Isn't that amazing? And then she looked at me and she goes, we need to have a baby right now. <laughs> And I go, um, what? <laughs> she goes, no, seriously, like we need to get pregnant right now because then Erica and I will be pregnant together and we'll have morning sickness together and we'll do gender reveals together and our babies will be born right at the same time and they'll get to grow up together and Phil, Erica and I will get to be like sisters and we'll raise our children together and God's gonna knit our families closer and closer together so that we can reach them with the gospel. And I go, honey, I... Is that, is that okay? Is that allowed? Is that a legitimate reason to have children? How powerful is that? How powerful is that kind of love? Incidentally, we did end up getting pregnant the next month. So Evan and Jojo, they, they kind of grew up together. And Brandy and Erica, sure enough, she spent so much time, they spent so much time together. 
This is a powerful thing, to be moved so much by love for people because God loves your neighbor. What does this mean for us? As Woods Edge Church, two things to two groups of people. First, if you're not a Christian in this room, you wouldn't say that you are. You don't believe any of this stuff. You're just here as a favor to a friend, or maybe you were tricked into coming here because someone said there would be free coffee. I actually don't know if we have coffee. I'm not sure. But if that's you, you wouldn't say that you're a Christian. Let me tell you this. You read this and you're like, wow, I need that. The world needs this. And understand this, the power that transforms a a collective of strangers and neighbors and transforms them into family, it all comes from this thing, the message, the power of what Paul calls the gospel of God. What is that message? It's this truth. Receive it, not as a word from a man, but as the word of God. This is the gospel, that every human being, you are made. God made you. And because you're made, you have a purpose and a reason for existing. And not only do you have a purpose and a reason, God loves you and wants you and cares for you. But inside every human heart is a brokenness, a tendency in us to run from God, to reject him, to shake a fist at him and say, I can do this better myself. This is what the Bible calls sin. Sin isn't just the bad things that you occasionally do. It is a sickness of your heart. It is death in your chest. And God, in his great love for you, seeing that we have wandered and and gone astray, he sent his son Jesus to rescue us from ourselves, to take the penalty of our treason against the creator of the universe, to take all of our sin onto himself, to be nailed to a piece of wood, to die in our place as our substitute, so that where he received death, we could receive life. As Jesus was buried and on the third day he rose again, guys, Jesus is alive. He is alive. And so to anyone who would receive him, we can have that life. And God is inviting us not to be just friends, not to be just neighbors, but to be his family. In John chapter 1, verse 14, the Bible says, the word of God, that is Jesus Christ, became flesh, fully God, fully man. The word of God became flesh, and what? He dwelt among us. That word dwelt is a word for tabernacle, It's just a fancy word for pitched his tent. Jesus pitched his tent to live among us. Jesus Christ, God became your neighbor. When we were strangers, he moved in. Not just so that he could be a neighbor, but so that through his death, burial, and resurrection, he can transform neighbors into family. And if that's you, if you need that, I want to invite you to receive it. It says, to anyone who would receive him, to those who believe in his name, God would give them the right to be called what? Sons and daughters. How great is the love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called sons and daughters of God, for that is who we are. Receive, receive this adoption. For those of us who are Christians, the question is, is are you growing in love for your neighbors? And if the first question that pops into your mind is, who is my neighbor? 
then you're asking the wrong question. The reality is, is that God has placed you where you are for a purpose and a reason, and he is calling us to love our neighbors on your street, to your left and to your right, across from you, at your workplace, as you move about. In this building right now, God is calling us to be motivated by love for people, to live lives excellently and be moved with affection to bring the gospel of God to them. Are you growing in love for your neighbors? Here at Woods Edge, we say that we desire for Houston to be called a city of God, to become a city of God. But my question to you, Christian, is, is your street the street of God? We want, we, want, we want the city to be the city of God. How about we start right there on your street? Is your street the street of God? Is your neighborhood the neighborhood of God? Is your workplace the workplace of God? And as streets become streets of God, as communities become communities of God, we're going to start seeing a transformation in our city as Houston becomes the city of God, one person at a time. I told you that that moment at dinner was so important to me as a community of believers invited me to journey with them and over time, I grew not just as a stranger, as a neighbor, but I became friends. These became my friends. But over time, people in that group, they would move away. They would graduate. They would go their own ways, whatever the case may be. But for some reason, the Lord had me running side by side with that first girl who invited me to dinner that first night. We served in inner city ministry together. We would go to Bible study together. We would go to prayer meetings together. We would go to church together. We even changed our class schedules so that we could walk to class together. Until one day, we decided that we weren't going to be neighbors. We were going to be more than just friends. And then uh, some months later, November uh, of my senior year, I asked her to dinner. And then after dinner, we walked past that dorm where we first met to the chapel on campus. And I got down on a knee, pulled out a ring, and I said, I want you to be my family. This is what God is doing. This is the story of 1 Thessalonians 2. Now, I'm not saying that if you love your neighbor, you're going to meet your spouse. <laughs> you're a young adult here. But I'm also not not saying that. <laughs> God can do what he wants. What I am saying, though, is that God is in the business of taking strangers and neighbors and transforming them into family. Understand this. When my, when my girls get here, Brandy and I, as their parents, we teach them to see this as their family. And so if you're a sister here in Christ, my kids will not call you Mrs. So-and-so. Instead, the Korean word for aunt is emo, so they're going to call you emo. That's what they know to do. They know to call you emo. If you're a brother in Christ in this room, my kids know to call you uncle because the Korean word for uncle is too hard. <laughs> and listen, they're only half Korean, so we're going to go 50-50. They know that this is not just a club or a group. 
This is family. And God is inviting us to be family and to invite those who are far from God to be family with us as we love Jesus, journey together, and bring hope to this world. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you and thank you. You are, you are so good. You're so good to us. That while we were sinners stuck in our death, you didn't just leave us there. And you didn't just bring us along as servants. But instead, you call us children. How great is your love that you lavish upon us, that we get to be your kids. And how great is your love that instead of just being satisfied there, you're inviting us to be a part of what you're doing. Inviting those who are far, bringing them near, being a neighbor, and being transformed together as the family of God by your gospel. I pray, God, that Woods Edge Community Church would be family for me, for my wife, for my precious daughters, that this would be family for us, and that we would see you transform this city and this world through us. In Jesus' name, amen.